Go. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day despite the fact that uh, there are great controversies at every side. There's also this announcement uh, just hours ago. Ticketmaster announced it was halting public ticket sales for Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. Uh, they're halting the public ticket sales tomorrow due to extraordinarily high demands on ticketing systems. Well, I guess they have three billion uh, approaches for tickets and insufficient remaining ticket inventory to meet demand. A mad rush this week for tickets to Swift's tour crashed parts of the Ticketmaster's website and left fans waiting for hours to buy tickets. And this is leading, of course, to activists in Congress, including Senator Amy Klobuchar, one of the most influential Democrats in the U.S. Senate, who want to crack down on Ticketmaster because it's a monopoly. And we have anti-monopoly laws. Meanwhile, uh, the tickets on StubHub, uh, we do know that the some of the tickets here in, in Seattle area for her two concerts have gone up to about $9,000 a ticket, plus evidence on StubHub there are tickets going uh, close to the stage in her New York concerts, and I think there are three of them, uh, that uh, up to $76,000 a ticket, which is extraordinary. Uh, there's also a $25 million lawsuit going on in another branch of the entertainment industry, and the entertainment industry includes athletics, uh, obviously. It's one of the great, most popular entertainments we have in this country. And it's not just professional athletics, but also athletics on the college arena. And I think people were shocked when they found out that here in the state of Washington, the highest paid state employee was not the governor or the chief justice of the Supreme Court or any of the heads of the statewide departments. It was the football coach at Washington State University, and frankly, the Cougars weren't even that great. But uh, now more than a year after Nick Rolovich was fired as Washington State's football coach for failing to comply with a mandate that state employees be vaccinated for COVID-19, the former coach is firing back at the school and the state of Washington. Rolovich uh, filed a 32-page lawsuit this week in uh, Whitman County Superior Court against Washington State University. Governor Jay Inslee and the athletic director at Washington State University, the guy who was responsible for hiring Rolovich in the first place, his name is Pat Chun. Rolovich, who had an annual salary of $3.2 million, was fired with cause October 18th, uh, 2021. So just about a year ago, year and a month ago, meaning uh, he did not receive the $3.6 million buyout he would have been owed had he been fired without cause. The lawsuit says the defendants violated Rolovich's constitutional, statutory, and contractual rights, causing him significant and ongoing damages. The uh, the lawsuit contains many noteworthy claims, the Seattle Times reports. Among them were that Chun, the athletic uh, director, uh, Pat Chun, that uh, Chun interfered 
in the blind review process to assess Rolovich's claim of a religious exemption to the mandate. Uh, that uh, It also claims that Rolovich followed all of WSU's COVID protocols and that Chun didn't. And that WSU willfully and uh, improperly withheld wages from Mr. Rolovich. This was such a public issue. And it came to this, and, and I remember being stunned by it at the time. I mean, obviously, you are showing a very high level of religious commitment or something uh, to say that I'm going to give up my $3 million a year salary and a job that I love coaching a pretty darn good football team for the Washington State University Cougars. I'm going to give that up rather than take a perfectly harmless and, in fact, probably beneficial injection in my arm which you barely feel and is not going to kill you and hasn't killed people and has actually saved a lot of lives. Uh, Phil uh, Weiler, WSU Vice President for Marketing and Communications, said in an email to the Seattle Times, Rolovich's lawsuit is wholly without merit and that university enforced the vaccine mandate in a fair and lawful manner in deciding that the coach uh, didn't qualify for medical or religious exemptions. And the problem here is he was never clear what religion was it that prevented him from taking the vaccine. Because, again, even Christian science, which is a famous for not authorizing medical treatments and medical procedures, did not uh, issue any position or take any position that the vaccines were prevented. And I believe there's evidence that uh, Coach Rolovich had taken other vaccines and his children had uh, before the COVID-19. In other words, if you have a religious uh, objection to taking the COVID vaccine, then what about taking polio vaccines or uh, rubella vaccines or measles or any any of the others that that actually are required for school children in Washington State. And this again is required for somebody who is a very prominent state employee, the highest paid state employee. The uh, lawsuit claims that four days after Rolovich was fired, Mr. Chun was caught violating masking regulations at a donor event. And that days later, Mr. Chun was caught violating masking regulations while in the locker room with WSU football players. Can it make sense why you would be a little bit more insistent on following a vaccine mandate than a mask mandate? And uh, because, again, masking it was strongly promoted at the time, but uh, there was no refusal on a public part uh, uh, by the part of a... Pat Chun to deny the desirability of the mandate and to publicly defy it. Rolovich also made the assertion that uh, Governor Jay Inslee was trying to force his hand when Rolovich appealed his firing in November, the, uh, that's last November. The governor's office responded then that he's just wrong. 
the lawsuit also says nothing in Mr. Rolovich's employee agreement with WSU contemplating a scenario uh, where WSU could claim just cause to terminate him because he refused to violate his religious faith, conscience, or bodily integrity. Uh, although the lawsuit asked for no specific amount, Rolovich filed a tort claim against the university in August seeking $25 million for wrongful termination. A tort claim is a prerequisite to filing a lawsuit against a state agency. The controversy regarding Rolovich's vaccine decision remained a hot topic until he was fired seven games into the 2021 season with Washington State University having a four and three record. Okay, uh, this entire matter, I, I don't think is going to go very far in court. And uh, uh, Nick Rolovich was a distinguished football player uh, before he became a coach. He was a successful coach at University of Hawaii, but a far more uh, spectacular football player and a great one, Herschel Walker, is now asking his supporters to keep the faith. And what exactly does he mean? Some remarkable statements from the uh, next senator from the state of Georgia, Republican nominee Herschel Walker. Coming up. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. Medved show. Uh, Georgia is the center of the political world uh, again. And uh, it was uh, for a while right after the election of uh, 2020 because it was so close in that state. I believe the final margin by which uh, Joe Biden carried the state of Georgia was 12,000 votes. That was what President Trump wanted the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who's a Republican. He was just reelected and reelected handily. Uh, President Trump wanted Brad Raffensperger to find him those extra 12,000 votes, which is now the subject of um, uh, criminal prosecution. Uh, be, but this is one of the many legal challenges that President Trump faces in his new campaign for the presidency just announced this week. Of course, he is a big supporter of Herschel Walker. He was the one who uh, contacted the football immortal, and he won the Heisman Trophy. He led the uh, University of Georgia to an undefeated national championship. Uh, his pro career, his pro career, that's how he knows Trump, because Trump was at, at one point involved with a sort of a rebel football league, and Walker was the big star who played for one of those teams. In any event... He uh, is now very aggressively going after his rival, the incumbent senator, uh, Raphael Warnock, who's a pastor, uh, also black. He is uh, uh, a pastor at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, which is the same church, the same pulpit that Martin Luther King uh, occupied. Uh, here is uh, Herschel Walker on the campaign trail taking a new aggressive, not defensive, but aggressive stance against Raphael Warnock, his competitor. Uh, listen. 
Oh, do you ever watch a stupid movie late at night, hoping it's going to get better, don't get better, but you keep watching it anyway? Because the other night, the other night I was watching this movie, I was watching this movie called Fright Night, Freak Night, or some type of night, but it was about vampires. I don't know if you know vampires and cool people, are they not? But I'm going to tell you something that I found out. A werewolf can kill a vampire. Did you know that? I never knew that, so I didn't want to be a vampire anymore. I wanted to be a werewolf. But then, anyway, as I'm watching this movie, and then you can tell how stupid it is because it's one in the morning. So I'm watching my TV, uh, these kids watching their TV, a uh, vampire kill on their TV. So you know it's kind of stupid, but I'm still watching, though. As I'm watching this show, what was funny, these kids had a vampire in their attic at their house. So they were watching their TV. Now I'm watching my TV as they're watching their TV, or they see the vampire killer on their TV. So they win this contest to bring this actor. Now, y'all got to stay with me. Bring this actor who's a vampire killer from that TV to get rid of this real-life vampire in that attic. So as this actor comes to their home, he got all the right stuff. Um, okay, but this goes on. And there is a punchline. And a punchline connecting it directly to the uh, race in Georgia. Uh, the would-be U.S. Senator continues he got all the right stuff because you know i gotta have a state and gotta have a thing to, to kill him in the heart and he got a necklace of garlic because that worked i don't know what it does but it worked you gotta have a cross because it burned i know that worked and then all of a sudden this is what was so funny about it as they're walking through the house this these this this guy got the holy water he's blessing the house this actor now he's all fake he's blessing the house with his holy water they walked upstairs and this vampire looking real good in this black suit whoa that sounds like senator warnock doesn't it looking all good in this black suit floated from the ceiling he floated from the ceiling looking good and cool and i'm thinking whoa they better get out of that house if somebody float from your ceiling get out of that house that's that's not your house but as he floated from the ceiling the kids jumped behind that hero as they jumped behind that hero the guy jumped in front of him with this holy water threw it on the vampire forehead he covered his eye and he took his hand away he started laughing, and he said, that don't work. He took the cross, he put it on the vampire's forehead, and the vampire didn't even do anything. He said, that don't work, and that's the way it is in our life. It doesn't even work unless you got faith. It is time for us to have faith. We gotta have faith in our fellow brother. We gotta have faith in this country. We gotta have faith in, this, in the elected officials. And right now, that's the reason I'm here. <laughs> it's riveting to listen to. Um, it's, um, unfortunately, the uh, campaign has taken a, a turn for the worse. It was already, obviously, a very low-level campaign with all of the scandal and the scandal-mongering against Herschel Walker. But apparently the other day, in addition to implying that um, Senator Warnock was a vampire and that it's not going to work to just throw holy water at him and put a cross against him, he, um, he attacked uh, Senator Warnock for not being a good father and for not spending time with his children, which, of course, is probably not the right emphasis for Herschel Walker to have on his campaign, uh, given the fact that uh, he has been horribly criticized by his children and the, the fact that he there are three of them that he had not publicly acknowledged. And uh, I, it's... <laughs> Honestly, this is so important for the United States of America. And to have these two candidates um, uh, going at each other about who's the worst father between them, it, it just, it's, um, it's one of those things that you just 
aren't used to hearing and shouldn't get used to hearing. And uh, shame on both of them and on, on all the signs. I mean, uh, and, and shame, by the way, on uh, some of the, the vetting process that you should go through as a political party, a major political party. The, uh, there shouldn't have been such a surprise uh, when the fact of uh, abortions and uh, the accusations of from two different women of being forced into an abortion uh, by uh, by Herschel Walker, he denies it. But honestly, we have bigger issues in the country and uh, across the country. For instance, we have this basic issue of why it is that the United States, the greatest nation on earth, which uh, most Americans, most Democrats even, uh, majority strongly believe, why is this great nation so lacking in our education? Why do we fall behind other nations like South Korea and Poland uh, that, that get, uh, and Finland, that get tremendous uh, educational ratings? There's another question about the state of Washington. State of Washington, a very prosperous state. And by the way, it's a pretty well-educated state, but right now our schools, when it comes to teaching social studies, according to a brand new study, the schools are among the worst in, in the country. Why? Washington ranked 30th in a uh, new survey uh, that uh, took a look at 41,000 Americans and found that only 27% of those under age 45 could demonstrate a basic understanding of American history. Uh, is this problematic? Uh, I think it is. So does the Washington Policy Center. So what do you do about it? There's actually a new initiative to the legislature that could make a real difference. We'll be talking about that with uh, Liv Finna of the Center for Education at Washington Policy Center. Coming right up. Your daily dose of debate. Well, I butt into everybody. You never give anybody a chance to finish. You give them a chance to talk, but whenever you want. I don't know why you profess such hate against me. Michael Medved show. It's no secret that I am very proud of my country. I'm very proud to be an American and that my grandparents <laughs> made an unbelievably blessed decision uh, to make their future here in the United States. And I'm also proud of my state. Uh, I've lived in Washington. We've lived in Washington. Our kids, two of our three kids live here, raising their kids here. We've been here since 1996, so that's 26 years now. And uh, it's shocking to read that when it comes to knowledge of social studies, basic comprehension of American history, uh, Washington State is not anywhere near the head of the pack. Uh, the, uh, maybe you can say the dog pack, husky pack, whatever. Uh, Liv Finna is director of the Center for Education at Washington Policy Center. So where does Washington State rank when it comes to basic comprehension of civics and social studies and history? Washington State is ranked 30th in a survey of 50 states. <laughs> Not good. But it's pathetic good. as for us, a state as prosperous as we are. Um, why? Well, 
I think there's a lot of reasons, but I took a deep dive uh, to look at the social study standards that are being put out. These are This is kind of the outline that the state, the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction, develops and puts out for use as kind of an outline to help teachers in the schools teaching social studies and civics. And I looked at these standards, and I was... Uh, dismayed to see how vague and how process oriented and how lacking in substance and in actual content uh, they are. And so it's no wonder, it's no wonder that the outline that is being uh, relied upon by the districts across the state, by teachers across the state is, is empty. You'd have to do your own research to find, you know, to be able to, to, uh, get actual facts and dates and and, uh, across to your students you'd have to do your own independent research because the the uh these social study standards are so weak in our state and what i understand is of course when people become naturalized citizens when they immigrate to the country legally and they want to go for citizenship and then after five years they take an exam and yeah. uh, apparently these materials and what you can find out about it so far for Washington State wouldn't even prepare somebody to pass a citizenship test. Is that right? I, uh, that's what I've heard. I haven't read the citizenship test myself, so I cannot say that for sure. But well, I you have to know there's... what the three branches of government are. You have to know what a veto is. You have to know how to amend the Constitution. And that's the kind of basic stuff our kids are not getting. Yeah. Yes, I I am I am dismayed to see uh how how poorly uh educated our students are because uh because it, it of course it's the foundation of this democracy, the foundation of our free market economy, it's the foundation of their prosperity and their lives. If we don't understand what a blessing it is to live in a in a democracy, uh if we're not taught that in school, uh we're not going to have uh, people willing to put their lives on the line to fight to defend this country from invasion. We're not going to have people uh, working hard to teach our, you know, students to be proud and happy about our futures and to work hard at their studies so they can learn and develop and progress. Uh, so it's it's very important to uh, teach children that our nation was founded on on inspiring principles: equality before all. Uh, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. These were, these were all things we were taught as children, and, 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 and not being and taught rule, today. Rule of law, of course. And speaking of rule of law, uh, you're an, uh, <clears throat> putting forward Initiative 1495, which is an initiative to the legislature. And my understanding is, if the legislature doesn't pass it and doesn't agree to it, then it goes on the ballot. Uh, next year in 2023 is that right yes that's right there's a there's that's exactly right an initiative to the legislature does that the legislature can put a competing initiative with it but they must put this initiative on the ballot okay so what does the initiative do well this this initiative would require school districts to post on their websites the curriculum materials that they're using to teach students and the goal of this was to uh, r- reveal to the public some of the harmful materials I believe that are is now being put in, in front of our students through critical race theory indoctrination and the like I think that was the purpose but uh, the 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 premise of the the initiative is that the public is entitled to know what children are learning 
in the schools and it would require uh, districts to put all their curriculum materials online for the public. So I, I can't, uh, what would the argument be against that? I I no, I can't think of a very good argument because the public no. pays for the schools. <laughs> so that's right. I mean, it's our kids, uh, and and again, no one's saying here that you're able to dictate what a teacher is going to teach, but you should be able to know what the teachers yes. are teaching, so that if yes. if nothing else, you at least you can counteract it or uh, at least have make your opinion felt. Uh, what's exactly, how exactly? Uh, where do we stand right now on the initiative fourteen ninety five? See, I don't know. They have to collect about four hundred thousand signatures before the end of the year. I don't. I, I'm sorry, I don't know. There were a, ten other initiatives that go along with that. Those there was a package of them, and I I don't. I really can't tell you. Well, again, in terms of uh, I'm I'm eager to sign if we're talking about an initiative that simply asks the school districts to uh, uh, to put materials on the Web so people can find out. Uh, and uh, the initiative, uh, as uh, Washington Policy Center points out, and people can read this material for yourselves at michaelmedved.com. Click on the big green banner for Washington Policy Center. It's a response to recent laws that were passed by the legislature that require critical race theory training sessions in all K-12 public schools, public universities, and medical schools. This is for faculty, right? Yes, and it, this, this ideology goes right at the heart of who our, what our identity is as a nation because it's teaching children that this our society is systemically racist, which is a falsehood. It's not the systemically racist. You can't point to a law that, that requires a, a government official to make decisions based on race. That we've, we've eliminated those laws. Remember back in the 1960s, that was like a, a key cry uh, for the, the, all the civil rights supporters. We do not have systemic racism. There may be racism that individuals hold, uh, yes, of course, you're never going to get rid of that entirely. But for the students to be taught that, that our society is systemically racist and that if you're white, you're part of the oppressor class, and if you're not white, you're being oppressed, this is harmful. This is harmful to this our, our whole identity as a society. And uh, I hope it gets overturned. I, I mean, I did notice that many uh, school board races across the country in this last election went conservative because now there's a group called Moms for Liberty that is that is advocating and, and uh, uh, working hard to elect uh, people to school boards across this country that object to this uh, racist ideology being taught to our students. So, well, I, again, I, I, I think way, I guess. for many, many people, uh, there's no objection at all. The truth is there are elements of racism in America's past. America was a racist country in 1900, uh, certainly in 1800 when slavery still existed. But we have made heroic efforts and led the world, really, in the heroic efforts to strike down racism and to battle racism and to provide the, uh, the ideals of the Constitution and uh, the Declaration of Independence, which transcend some of that uh, uh, racist background. It's the refusal to recognize change 
that makes people blind to history and social studies and citizenship. Uh, Washington Policy Center, important work. Uh, check it out. Go to our website. Click on the banner for WPC. We will be right back. Michael Medved show another Michael Mike Pence is making the rounds promoting his new book uh, so help me God he will be joining us on Monday again he was on a town hall on CNN and he actually uh, spoke to some of the election deniers who remain in Congress and uh, some of the candidates who ran on a platform of election denial of somehow overturning the election verdict of the, the people made in 2020. And uh, here's what Mike Pence had to say, clip uh, 12. Our candidates that were focused on the future, that were focused on the challenges facing American families today, whether it be inflation or crime or crisis at the border or high gas prices those those candidates focused on the future did very well by contrast i think you could argue that candidates that were focused on the past that were focused on relitigating the past did not fare as well and uh i expect that's uh, that's going to be taken to heart by republicans uh, in the congress of the united states and across the country I mean, the truth is that we candidates have every right to challenge the outcome of elections in the courts of this country and in legal processes established in the Congress of the United States. But I, I think there's been far too much questioning of elections. Okay. Uh, I mean, which is clearly the case. And at the same time, uh, Pence uh, gave tried to give some explanation. I don't think, frankly, it's a fully satisfactory explanation of uh, why he will not testify uh, before the January 6th committee, uh, which is a disappointment because he was central to some of the decision-making process and central to uh, being there, exposed to danger as, as it happened. Uh, here is uh, what he had to say about the January 6th committee and his non-participation. This is clip 15. The partisan nature of the committee troubled me, but that being said, I never stood in the way of my senior staff cooperating and even testifying before the committee. But as I said today, the January 6th committee, Congress has no right to my testimony because under the Constitution of the United States, as vice president, we had two co-equal branches of government. The Congress doesn't report to the White House. The White House doesn't report to the Congress. And I, I truly do believe in defense of the separation of powers and to avoid what would be a terrible precedent. The very notion of a committee on Congress, in Congress, summoning a vice president to speak about deliberations that took place at the White House, I think, would violate that separation of powers. And I think it would erode... Um, the dynamic of the office of president and vice president for many years to come. Certainly understand that argument. 
Okay, uh, the uh, principled objection, I, I think it's uh, certainly arguable, because there have been many examples of executive branch officers uh, speaking before Congress. And uh, the idea of having a separate branch of government doesn't mean that they don't interact. And uh, if there is a question, and, and that's why, of course, I think Vice President Pence did the right thing to allow his senior staff to play such an important role in the January 6th hearings, it's, it's a very questionable where they are going to go with uh, the January 6th committee because it's a select committee and certainly Kevin McCarthy has given every indication that he will disband it after the Republicans actually take power in the House of Representatives on January 3rd. Uh, but will the committee be able to complete its report that it is preparing by that time? Uh, the indication appears to be yes, but we will see. Uh, there is also this on President Trump's announcement. Uh, Larry Kudlow, who uh, was an advisor to President Trump, he was in the administration for a while. Before that in the campaign, he was one of the people who helped to devise Trumponomics, which had a very successful run. He, um, he said this in responding to President Trump's announcement of candidacy on Tuesday night. This is uh, Larry Kudlow. Here's what wasn't in the speech. No trash talk, no grievances, no 2020 election denial. It was a temperate speech. It was a well-considered speech. And in that sense, we saw a new Donald Trump, hopefully discarding some of the baggage and returning back to the successful campaign of 2016, which laid out a clear America First agenda that he implemented in his four-year term. Perhaps most of all, the speech was chock full of optimism. And you know I love optimism. He talked about a national greatness agenda. Let me quote this. And together we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. We will make America glorious again. And we will make America strong again. Anyway, I will just say good stuff, Mr. President. Please keep it up. Okay, it's one of those things we noted as well is that the uh, stolen election narrative that had been such an important part of President Trump's recent rallies, basically everything he said since the election, that was notably absent. And that was the best thing about the talk. But uh, what's interesting about Larry Kudlow is he's treating this thing, we'll make America prosperous again, we'll make America proud again. He's, this is like Kabuki theater. He's been doing this at all of his rallies uh, since the middle of his presidency. And I even know <laughs> from having watched so many of these rallies, the hand gestures he has when he says, we'll make America proud again, he puts his hand over his heart. When he says, make America strong again, he makes a fist. And, uh, and he, he has used that, and used that, by the way, in the fundraising letter that I received that he sent out right after the announcement of candidacy. There was a, um, there's a piece 
by George Will uh, about the Trump era. And George Will is no fan of the president, but he puts a very interesting perspective, as he always does. I mean, America's veteran conservative columnist. He points out, running for president in 1968, Alabama Governor George Wallace thought he spotted a problem. We got too much dignity in government, he said. Thirteen presidential elections later, voters solved that problem. Now they can make amends by closing the Donald Trump parentheses in U.S. history. Among Republican nominating electorate, Trump has a floor of forever Trumpers, but the floor is sagging. If his bitter enders were the questioning sort, they would ask, what states that he previously carried might he lose in 2024? And what states that he previously lost might he conceivably carry in 2024? His 2000 victory, 2016 victory was sealed by wafer-thin margins, a combined 77,744 votes out of 13,940,000 cast in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Those are the three crucial states. All three, just now in this election, elected Democratic governors. Two, Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan and Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania, by landslides over notably supine Trump grovelers who were out of their depths and perhaps their minds. Trump's marathon post-2020 tantrum was ignited when he was declared the loser in Arizona, which has just elected a Democratic senator and governor. Uh, Georgia, which Trump won by 211,000 votes out of 4,100,000 cast in 2016, and which he lost by 11,779 votes out of 5 million cast in 2020, just emphatically re-elected Governor Brian Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, both of whom Trump reviles because they acknowledged the arithmetic of his 2020 Georgia laws. Uh, when Mahatma Gandhi was asked what he thought about Western civilization, he supposedly said he thought that would be a good idea. The same can be said of Republican establishment. It, elected officials, donors, influencers, should act as an establishment, working to impede a proliferation of candidates who would uh, allow the uh, stolen election rump of the party to prevail. Uh, George Will, uh, looking ahead, uh, other more optimistic views for the Trump campaign and more in this greatest nation on God's green earth.